0: 1212, the MOT podcast. It's your boy, Bless. Let me know. Today, we have a very special guest, none other than Steve Pajot, Grammy Award winning producer, engineer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Welcome. Montreal's own, Brooklyn's own. Yeah, I was born in Brooklyn. Best of both worlds. <laughs> um, we don't want to call you the R. Kelly and Jay Z of production. <laughs> Maybe just the Jay Z. But uh, thank you for coming, my brother, man. We appreciate you stopping by. Thanks
1: for having me, Bless.
0: Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself for the people who might not be familiar with you.
1: Well, I'm this, this kid that had a dream, you know, growing up. You know, I was born in Brooklyn, but I came to Montreal when I was six months of age. You know, my dad was already living here and my mom was living in New York. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but they had already met in Haiti. Mm but my dad decided to go to Montreal because he didn't want to live in New York. Mm-hmm. But every weekend, my mom would get on the Greyhound bus, and I think it would cost $5 back in the day. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> and then every weekend, she would come and see my, my dad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, make a long story short, that's how I was, um, you know, I was born in New York. Mm-hmm. And then she decided to to come and live here. And growing up, it was me and my dad. When my mom was at work. My dad was teaching me how to play the guitar. Mm-hmm. So I had a little guitar. And every day, it was him and I practicing. You know, he would um, he would teach me how to read, read music, teach me my chords, and he had his guitar. And we used to play together. You know, some Beatles songs, some Jackson 5 music. And this is how it all started.
0: So you became very... Uh, well-versed in all different genres of music from a very young age.
1: Yes, when I was three years old. Mm. I, it started when I was three years mm. old.
0: So to say you come from a musical background is an understatement. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So so from the guitar, when I, I went to the flute, because the guitar, when I was playing the guitar, it would hurt my fingers. Mm. But not knowing that it's because... Um,
2: You're three years old. Yeah, I was three years old your fingers aren't ready yet. <laughs> yeah, but but
1: it would there were metal metal strings. Mm-hmm. We didn't put the nylon nylon strings mm-hmm. and it would go through my fingers. It would hurt a lot. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to play it anymore. So when I went to elementary school, I started playing the recorder. And I started playing it and I loved it cuz my fingers it didn't hurt my fingers. Mm-hmm. And I really loved it. I would play it I'll play all types of melodies. My dad would be on the guitar, and I'd play those Beatles melodies again, also. And then from there, I I think I played that instrument from from seven to to twelve years old. So when I was twelve, my fr- a friend of mine who was going at he's who was going at the same school as me mm-hmm. at Saint Pascal Bellon in Côte mm-hmm. He said, "Steve, I'm gonna." I'm going to Piala Port, I'm going for an audition, and they teach classical music there. And he played guitar, and I was like, oh wow, I should check it out. So when I went for, the, for my audition at Piala Port, they said that they didn't teach the recorder, but they gave me a list of instruments that they were, that they were, um, that they were teaching. Mm-hmm. And I saw the violin, the piano, guitar, trumpet, and I saw the flute. Like the concert flute, yeah. And I was like, "Wow, there goes that instrument that that has always been. I've always been intrigued by the by the flute, because mm-hmm. I couldn't understand how could somebody play and not see his hand,
2: his mm-hmm. fingers,
1: mm-hmm. you know, touching the notes. Mm-hmm. So I, so I, so I said, I'm gonna play. I'm gonna learn how to play the flute, and that's how it all started with my flute playing. Wow. And throughout my whole entire high school every single day we had our music lessons like my private flute lessons choir 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 classes um, history of music like I studied Bach Beethoven Tchaikovsky Haydn and this was in high school? in high school I went to a similar
0: school I went to FACE Oh yeah, yeah. I went to face, and it was an arts program. Oh, wow. We didn't study the history of music as much, but we did like choir, you know, visual art. Um, everybody had to play an instrument. Mm-hmm. You and, studied.
2: Get outside and go sell something. I don't know what you're no, talking no,
0: about. No, 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 no. Early on, early on, like grade, uh, what grades was I there? Like seven, eight, and nine. I went. I went to face because you know, obviously, I was I was always into the arts, and I and I wanted to do music, but I didn't really feel like their um, what's the word I'm looking for not formula their Curriculum. curriculum their rigid way curriculum. of teaching it uh-huh. you know really spoke to me yeah so i actually didn't embrace it and ended up leaving that school oh, wow. um, but i always wanted to pursue music so mm-hmm. you know i i, I know uh, how special it is to be exposed to everything at an early age mm-hmm. and then you know we can draw on that later on you know yeah yeah uh, as yeah. producers and as but artists
1: it was amazing and um because every single day i was around musicians just like um that that show they had on TV back in the day, um, how you call it again? Was it fame? Fame. fame. Yeah. It was the same type of atmosphere, mm-hmm. and every day you had musicians playing in the hallway. You know, we, being
2: around creative people is special, right? Because like you can now express yourself.
1: Yeah. Right? It, was, it was a beautiful experience, and when I turned seventeen, I went to the, I went to the um, I did the Canadian music competition. Mm-hmm. I won the regional, then I went to the provincial. I won the provincials in Hwaino-Honda, like six hours away from here. And then I went to the national finals of Canada playing the flute. And it was, it was beautiful. That's what set, set me up for the future. Mm-hmm. you know. And at the same time, when I was 17, or 15, I think, 16, that's when I started taking my piano lessons in Westmount. I used to take my youngest brother, my younger brother, Ricky. Mm-hmm. Like every Friday, we'd go to Westmount mm-hmm. and go take our piano lessons at the congregation. Mm-hmm. It was a nun who was our teacher. Wow. And every Friday, and right before we will start our piano lessons, Justin Trudeau used to come out of his lessons. <laughs> so we would speak for like 10 minutes. But on the weekends, him and I used to talk almost every weekend. He used to tell me about his dreams of become a politician. I used to tell him my dreams, talk about my dreams of becoming a record producer.
0: So he always had a had an ambition to go into politics. Yeah, yeah. Wow.
1: Because we're both 16, talking about our dreams. Yeah, yeah, sure. So him becoming the prime minister, it didn't surprise me you know, so
0: it goes to show that when you set your mind to something and you're passionate about it from an early age and you're willing to put the work and the time and the energy that it requires mm-hmm. because it's a real passion and you want a result, but you're not doing it for the result. You're doing it because you just, it's, it's part of you. It's who you are. Yeah. Sky's the limit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It has to be, like you said, it has to be within you. Absolutely. No one can force you. Absolutely. if, it's like you got to be willing to wake up every single day and do it as if you're eating. Yeah. That's with any passion.
0: Yeah. You know, well,
1: it has to come from the heart.
0: For myself, uh, you know, uh, personally hip-hop's always been a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So for me, uh there's really that that was my religion, that was my that was my book, that was my bible, that was my everything, you know, mm-hmm. and and from the way, you know, we talk to the way we dress to the to the music that we make to the to the to the vibe the energy it was all hip-hop it was always hip-hop first Mm -hmm. you know and i'm sure that uh that you feel the same way
1: oh yeah 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 hip-hop was always um was always number one You understand?
0: Did you start primarily as more of an R and B producer, or it was just you? You just brought that musicality and said, "I don't put myself into that box." Yeah,
1: I brought the musicality, and I did. I started doing both at the same time. Mm. Like I started producing um, rap artists. Mm. I started doing hip hop music first, rap music first. Tell me some of the early people that you worked with. Misery. Oh, shout out Misery. Yeah, big time. Misery was. Was like the rapper.
0: Misery was signed to a good friend of mine, Haig, from Zubone. Okay, yeah. Haig, Haig was my good, good friend. And early in my career, mm-hmm. some of the first records I made was with Haig.
1: Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's after, that's after I went to New York, Misery got signed to, mm-hmm. to him. Mm-hmm. But in, in the beginning, it was me working, producing Misery. He would come to the studio. I had my four-track By Tascam, 4-track 246 by Tascam. I remember. With my AKG microphone Mm -hmm. and my EPS-16 Plus. And the the sequence I was using was made by Voyatra with my IBM computer. But That was like early 90s, like 92, 93. Wow. Like it was... Those were the days. Yeah, like that's before my era. <laughs> I mean, I was,
0: I was, I was already as a young, young kid, really passionate about the music and, and studying it. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until maybe about ninety six, ninety seven, as as a as a young teenager, I started trying to, okay. trying to get out there and do the open mic nights and, and the talent shows and all yeah.
1: that. Yeah. And for misery, I went to. Um, then I started producing. Um, Technical sense. I remember
0: technical sense. Blast from the past. Yeah. We used to do talent shows at Lavoie High School. Oh, yeah? In Cote I was, I was a B-boy. Uh-huh. I, was a, I was a really Before young you B-boy. Rapping. Before I was rapping. Uh-huh. And I met, I met all those guys Radical. back in, in
1: those days. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, they came to me when they were 17, 18. Yeah. They were young kids. Yeah. And because I was working with Misery, so it helped it helped me with the name wise. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people were coming to my studio. And back then I think I was charging the most, eighty dollars to do a beat. Like they would rec I would record that was big money back then. Oh it was. It was when great you're money. in Montreal. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and I would rec- engineer and record and produce. Mm-hmm. But I was producing I was recording and producing at the same time. Mm-hmm. That's why it became second nature. Mm-hmm. And um and that's how that's how it all, it all happened. Like Cynics came to the studio back in the day. You know, Cynics. No. Well, um, was was a crew from from Montreal also, mm-hmm. and like a lot of people were coming to the studio. That's how I, you know, that's how I got my feet wet in yeah. producing. You know
0: absolutely those were the days that's when hip-hop was you know uh, exploding here in canada for the beginning you know this is the beginning of of the culture really coming here and a movement forming and there being you know talent shows and 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 you know b-boy battles and all kinds of stuff before it was even all up in the clubs Mm -hmm. in those days only if you played hip-hop you were a hip-hop club it wasn't really top 40 like it is today where everybody's pretty much forced to play Uh hip-hop, which is great for us. But, you know, you have to seek out these rare little gems Mm -hmm. in these spots. And a a lot of times, you know, the shows were happening in high schools and community centers and all that kind of stuff. And we had Ricky D on here. I
1: was about to say that. Ricky D, Gary T. Gary Mm, T was one of the first
0: people who managed me as a young kid. Yeah, yeah. When I was like seven, eight years old.
1: You know what's so crazy about Gary T? When, um, what's her name again? Oh my god, how can I forget? Was it KRS one? Yeah, KRS one mm-hmm. when he came to Montreal mm-hmm. at the Metropolis. Yes, I was there. Oh yeah, Misery opened that show. Wow. And that to was in '94. Beats? Yeah. Yeah. That he was um every beat you heard from Misery was my, was my beat. Dope. Yeah, so, Misery was definitely ahead of his time, man. Oh, Shout very he was like he was like a Tupac. Yeah. He
0: was political. Political, yeah. yeah. He was political. And those
1: were the years. Yep. If you didn't, if you didn't know about those days, that era in Montreal, you don't really know what, what hip hop is all about. Yeah. You know, it it comes from way back then. Even before us, we had um zero tolerance. I remember them. You remember mm-hmm. with um with um Chuck Ice. Shout out Chuck Ice, Chuck Ice, an old friend of mine. Man. Yeah, mine too. I spoke to him last week. Yeah, I love and, Chuck. And um Choice, DJ Choice. Of course, old friend. Like, those are the people I used to look up to. Like, I remember when I used to see Choice at Burger King on Crescent. Mm-hmm. And when Club
0: Platinum was across. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, if you had Choice attention, you know you're on to something.
0: For those of you who, who might not be familiar with DJ Choice, he was the DJ producer for Dub Matik. Yeah. And Dubmatic ended up doing big things and really kicking the door in for the French hip hop scene early. Mm-hmm. I think they sold a couple hundred thousand mm-hmm. copies mm-hmm. here in Canada, which was great for a hip hop mm-hmm. project at the time. Still great for a, oh, for yeah, a local yeah. hip hop project. And um, I remember those guys used to come to Face, the random tie-in here, and do some of their first shows in the auditorium on the weekends. They'd have like French hip hop shows uh-huh. and shit. Wow. Yeah.
1: It's like those are the, those are the guys who who opened up who mm-hmm. who laid the blueprint for us that's right so it's it's very important to mention their names oh they have to be you understand sure. what I'm saying they that's have like to a, be
0: we can't we can't write people out of history nah, nah. because it's convenient for others to take the credit for yeah. everything Bless. that's popping. Have we ever
2: spoken about Don carnage no Are you familiar with Don Carnage? I remember the name. Yeah, I heard the name. So when I ran a studio way back in the day, uh, Don Carnage had the studio right next to me. Mm -hmm. And he was one of the first guys that was on Music Plus. He was signed to a major. Very insightful. The guy was was way ahead of his time. We're talking about people that are ahead of his time. Uh If you want to go back, go check out Don Carnage. You're going to see on on, uh, YouTube... There's music videos from like the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, where this guy was on Music Plus. He was on MTV. Uh, yeah, I Much remember music. hearing his name, but uh, I'm not familiar with his just work. Just a really cool guy. I just wanted to shout him out. Yeah, shout out Don Carnage.
0: Big, up, big yeah. up everybody in Montreal and in Toronto yeah. and across the country who, you know, Put their time and their energy and their talents into something that at the time, mm-hmm. financially at least, made absolutely no sense. Yeah. There was no infrastructure. There was no business. Nothing. But we know all these cats were doing it out of a genuine love for hip hop mm-hmm. culture. Yeah. And it brought so many people from different cultures and ethnicities together mm-hmm. and, was, and was really an amazing way to bond, yeah. you know, with people from different walks of life. I mean, you could see a cat, you know, you'd see him around at school or whatever, just, you know, downtown, you know, walking around and shit. And you already knew he was hip hop and mm-hmm. you knew you had something in common by the way he carried himself, by the mm-hmm. way he dressed. And, you know, then later on, when we started going to clubs and networking, it was, it was definitely a special time, you know. You had Ivan Berry with Beat Factory, mm-hmm. you know, which was almost like a farm team for guys like Cardinal and Choc and, mm-hmm. and all these people that came after and then of course the dub mat the dub and the and the you know just everybody man shout what out SP everybody
2: did sp show up like dub was was early 90s uh, sp showed up just a, a th- bit later though just a bit i yeah. think have you ever I, worked
1: with sp no
2: no, not yet? No, not Maybe yet. Maybe one no. day?
1: Well, yeah, one day.
0: Ray Ray, I'm sure you've crossed paths with over I'm, the I'm years. I'm pretty sure, yeah. So Ray Ray had produced uh, Saint-Pression's first projects, and he produced most of my first album as well. Okay. Um, you know, when I first signed to Guru, me and him were working together a lot. Mm-hmm. So we did we did our first record together, and he was always a guy that was very well known in the French side. And even though I obviously strictly do English music, mm-hmm. I was always close with these guys because of, you know, Ray Ray and, and nice. everybody was coming through the studio in the city, um, you know, big up, uh, you know, Connoisseur and Vice and Vain
2: and some uh, Flow. Vain yeah, flow? Oh, everybody, man. But you you everybody know who
1: we can't cool. forget? Um, sh- um, oh you forgot. Wait, I just have the name. Oh, Overproof. Okay. Overproof. Woo. Yes. They were the first ones to get signed outside of Montreal.
0: Yeah, I think oh, they really? got
1: signed to um, mm-hmm. a record label from Philly.
2: Big up to them, man. I've known those guys forever. And they were Mm French-speaking?
1: English. English English-speaking. English. Yeah, yeah.
2: I'm thinking like a French-speaking artist being signed in Philly, that would have been like, whoa. No. No, We also
1: had um, Scooby-Doo. You remember Scooby-Doo? Yeah. Yeah. She she moved to Toronto. She was a rapper.
2: Tara Chase. Tara Chase. Yeah, Yeah, Scooby-Doo.
1: Yeah, yeah. Tara Chase. That was a a rap name, Scooby-Doo.
0: yeah. Tara Chase, I remember uh, I bumped into her when I was a kid. One of the first shows I ever did in Toronto before getting signed was um, it was kind of like a lyricist lounge and it was called Planet Mars oh, okay. and all the dope. I mean, and there was some great artists. Toronto already had like like dozens of great hip hop artists mm-hmm. and they all would come to this event once a year and it was kind of like a lyricist lounge and shout out to them. They let me like 15 years old get on and rock and I killed it. And it was it was a very for me an inspirational moment because it was like, okay, I could go to another city. You know, I already got great feedback in my own town, Mm -hmm. but for me to be able to go with you know with no, you know, not too many records recorded, no deal, no management, Mm -hmm. and just get up there and be able to rock in a city where I had no support yet. That was really, uh, you know, a great feeling as a kid. So shout yeah. out to everybody involved with Planet Mars. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tyra Chase was up there and Socrates and everybody, I Yeah,
1: yeah, those are, those people, we can't forget about them.
0: So you have deep roots when it comes to, you know, musicality, learning from your pops, you know, classical training. Um, speak to me a little bit about your brother, who you were taking to those piano lessons. Cause off camera, you were telling me, uh, you know, a lot about what he's up to these days. Yeah.
1: Um, my brother, Ricky, Ricky Pajot. So it all started with um. Also, he started with the guitar, mm. but for some reason we never stuck to the guitar.
2: The, the Pajot fingers just weren't there, right?
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, every Friday, I will take him to his piano lessons. But he took it more seriously because I was already playing the flute. Mm-hmm. I was just going there to take him to his piano lessons. But at, at the same time, I would take take the piano lessons as well. Mm-hmm. And um, and we didn't have a piano at that time. So we, we used to practice on a cardboard. It's my mm-hmm. dad who reminded me, who, who brought it up last week. He was like, Steve, you remember when you guys first started? It was on a, on a cardboard, a piano. Mm-hmm. piano shaped cardboard mm-hmm. like every like we and we would practice on it as Without if it was a notes. real piano yeah oh
2: my god mm. as if it was a real that's piano that's got to be in the movie just so you know mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> like we would be on the floor we we're on the wow. floor
2: just and just
1: yeah. practicing mm-hmm. Hell and yeah. thinking that you know the notes were really playing mm-hmm. we we're really playing on the notes wow and i think we went through that phase for like a year Wow just practicing on the cardboard that's dope and and then then summer one summer, one some well before that one summer um we went to a barbecue and um and I played the flute and I made like $140. All right. Well that's before Ricky started his piano lessons. That's how he got into his piano lessons. And then and then um somebody in the crowd was like, You, you little boy, what do you do? <laughs> all we see you doing is doing this like a conductor. <laughs> And then, and then he said, and then my brother said, I want to play the piano. And then my dad said, oh, you want to play the piano? And at that time, my dad was in a band, and they had a DX7. Mm-hmm. Remember the DX7 from mm-hmm. back in the day? Yeah. So when the band broke up, my dad bought the keyboard. So that summer, we went to New York. And on our way back from vacation, and I think my dad was like, do you still want to play piano? Like he was asking Ricky those questions, and yeah. my my Ricky was like, "Yes, yes, yes." Then when we walked in the apartment and we saw the DX7, mm. like that was a top keyboard back that in the was day, the game
0: changer. So yeah. now you guys could go wild on so, the keyboard.
1: So now, so we had the the DX7, and Ricky started practicing. Now with the with the lessons, we started. He started. He started playing, and. And my dad, every single day, like he was doing with me, he would do with Ricky, like show him show him um, rhythms, different types of rhythms, like compa mm-hmm. rhythms, mm-hmm. Brazilian music, like samba, bossa nova, mm-hmm. jazz. I
0: love bossa nova. Yeah. I've sampled a lot of uh, bossa nova shit over the years. I just, I, I like the swing. It, yeah, yeah. It's nice. very swaggy. Yeah,
1: Nice. And And every day my brother would be on the keyboard and his first jazz piece was Giant Steps. Mm. That, my, that's, that's his, that was his first um, Jazz piece he learned I remember like it was yesterday mm-hmm. And And um, So we had the keyboard And we had a tape deck It would record one side And then you flip it You know to over well. <laughs> So that's how I started producing also With the TR-505 mm. So not getting away off my brother So my brother would play t- All types of music every Sunday Mm-hmm. We'd be in the living room rehearsing, and he would tell my brother, "Ask my tell my brother play these chords." Like he would play like a Madonna song, and my brother would listen to the chords and start playing those chords. Like my dad was doing the ear training, because mm-hmm. it's it's there's it's one thing to know how to read, but it's another thing to learn how to listen to those notes through your ears. It's like ear training. Yeah, of course. Some people don't read, but you play them something. And they can they can play Repeat, it right away, yeah, of course. Like or vice versa, a lot of people can play what they hear, but they can't read. Mm-hmm. But when you got both, it's you have a, a lot less
0: limitations. Yeah. Of course, yeah.
1: So that's how my brother started started with his piano. And over the years, he would do the competitions. You know, everywhere in Montreal, I would I would take him to his um competitions, and and until he went to Piala Porte, high school just like me yeah. where he where he furthered his um classical training and then from there on he started forming his his band his jazz band with with um some some of the local musicians and fast forward he started he had his he got his first big break with Corneille mm-hmm. he went on t- on tour with Corneille and i think that's where he met his girlfriend mm-hmm. and then from there they did, they, um, she got him into the to du Soleil. Mm-hmm. So he started doing the Cirque du Soleil. So from touring around the world with the to du Soleil, he started me- meeting other musicians. Yeah. And one of the musicians he met was Fish from Fishbone, mm. the drummer. Then, right. So he hired him. So, so Fish started introducing him to a lot of, all types of cats in the States. Mm-hmm. and one of the key one of um the musicians one of the people he met through fish was um Kevin Kevin Antunes so Kevin Antunes he was the musical director for Backstreet Boys mm-hmm. Britney Spears In nice. Sync good guy to know Tim Justin Timberlake all the big all the big um artists so when my brother left um Cirque du Soleil he moved to LA and then after three months, like it was kind of hard for him because he didn't know anybody. Yeah. And um, so his so so one day, I mean it was hard because he didn't know too many people. Yeah. Not hard like financial because he, he went out there he was all right. Yeah. So after three months of you know, um, networking, on April first in two thousand eight, he gets this phone call from Kevin. Kevin calls him up and he says, um, hey, Ricky, would you like to go on tour with Madonna? Mm-hmm. And my brother said, hell yeah, something <laughs> like that. Mm-hmm. Pretty good deal. Yeah. And then Kevin said, all right, I'll call you back in within 15 minutes. But with the Civil du Soleil, my brother took um, accordion lessons. Mm-hmm. So he was playing accordion also. So when Kevin called back, he said, you got the gig. But the reason why he got the gig is because he also played the accordion. Mm. And Madonna loves the accordion. Mm -hmm. And my brother was like, yo, Steve, I didn't want to tell no one not to lose my street cred. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's so
0: funny you say that because um, I love hearing stories, you know, like yourselves and your brothers. Because I think a lot of people don't realize how so much of this game is mental. Yes. You know, it's mental toughness. It's, Mm -hmm. it's fortitude. You have to have that belief in yourself that even though it's not logical, it's not plausible Mm -hmm. and you can't see a direct pipeline to get where you're going, Uh that if you're not willing to, you know, leave a stable job like your brother had at Cirque du Soleil, Mm -hmm. go to LA where he had limited contacts Mm -hmm. and kind of do something that's illogical to get a result that only you can envision yeah that's tough. It most is. people aren't willing to do that. No. And it's that mental toughness that if you can fucking use that to push mm, through, mm-hmm. things like this become possible. Yeah. Big up. Yes. For most people, if you were to say, hey, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tour the world as Madonna's uh, piano player, they would laugh at laugh you and at say, you. <laughs> okay, buddy. And, and, and you know what? For those people, uh-huh. it is impossible. It, yeah, so why fault them?
1: Yeah. It, Your mentality it. is
0: that. Mm-hmm. It, it really is truly impossible mm-hmm. for you. And I've always said this, if you want to have an extraordinary career or an extraordinary life, you have to be willing to do extraordinary shit to get it. That's true. But it is not logical. No. Right? That's true. And in the same vein, making music is mathematical, mm-hmm. but not logical, because where does a hit come from? Where mm-hmm. do chords that give you the fucking goosebumps, goosebumps. <laughs> come from well you're kind of tapping into shit Mm -hmm. we don't know where it comes from we don't know how to tap in we just start playing Mm -hmm. we start humming we start whatever our process is Mm -hmm. and we know when it comes and so music is faith-based success is faith-based yeah and none of this is tangible
1: no none of them
0: and for me and i would love to get your perspective on it that's always been the toughest thing because you're dealing with something that isn't tangible. Yep. You just got to feel it. You got to feel it and you got to stick to it long enough for these special results to become a possibility for yep. you.
1: Yeah. Love true. stories like that. Thank you. So now my brother is on his fourth world tour for Madonna. Amazing. He started in wow. 2008. Wow. Then he did That Was Sticking Sweet. Then he did MDNA. Then he did Rebel Heart. Mm-hmm. And you know what's so crazy? When it came to Rebel Heart, he didn't want to go on tour with Madonna because he has his side project with his wife mm-hmm. with Parlo Social. So he wanted to stick to Parlo Social.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Cause every time he goes on tour, it takes the time out of um, it takes away his time.
2: From that other from that other project.
1: That other project. Right. So mm-hmm. whenever they go back, whenever he goes back to LA, it's like starting back mm. over because people because people don't see you performing every weekend, so mm-hmm. they think you're not you're not doing it or you know you're not in it anymore. You understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But but so when they called him for the third world tour, he was like, no, he wants to concentrate on on his project and amazing and good for du- him
2: that he that he can say. That he's comfortable to Yo, concentrate on his own.
1: And we at home, we're like, Are you crazy? Right? That's Madonna. <laughs> mm-hmm. And my it's, Good and, for it's him. No, and it's no disrespect to Madonna. No. He just wanted to do his own thing. Sure. Like he loves Spring with Madonna. But there's nothing like when it's 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 yours. Mm-hmm. It's your little baby. That's special. You understand what I'm saying? Sure. And then and then when when Madonna and his her people saw that he wasn't gonna budge, they are like, Can you please do <laughs> the pro, at least do the promo tour? Until we find a keyboard player,
2: and they'll work together again.
1: They will. And and check this out. And my brother was like, "All right, I'll do the promo tours." So they went to Paris. They went to London, and they did New York. And then there was another. There was the Grammy night, Mm -hmm. and then my Madonna asked him, "Can you do the Grammy night for us?" And then my brother was like, "All right, no problem." So the night of the Grammy, I think it was two thousand fifteen the camera starts off showing my brother at the piano. Sick. For the song, it was, I think it was, The Devil w- Wouldn't Recognize. Mm-hmm. And, and it starts off with my brother. And then at the end of the show, my brother was like, I think she mind fucked me, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So got him addicted, yeah, re-addicted she, yeah, to yeah, the... yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry for my language. <laughs> no, um, no, no. no, it's fine. Um, so after, after the Grammys, I think they had a reunion. Kevin, Madonna, the whole staff, they're like, Ricky, you can still tour with us and do your side project in parallel with us. Mm-hmm. Whichever city we go to, you can promote your side project. Dope. Like every city we will go to, have a concert. That's what Kevin told him. Yeah. You can still promote shows. So every city they would go to on their days off, Mm-hmm. he would fly his band in nice so if it was in Australia or London on their days off they would perform so whichever city Madonna went to Paulo Social was performing nice so and and that's how that's, that's what made it possible for him when he saw it was it was convenient when he saw that it was it made sense so he went to the, he went to the, he toured with her again and then they called him again for for this tour Nice. For Madam, Madam X So that's his Fourth world tour Well, Definitely, I mean, definitely
0: need to Check out
1: his, uh, his oh, Side yeah, project like, like his Instagram Is Ricky Pajot mm-hmm. R-I-C-K-E-Y P-A-G-E-O-T Like I'm not Just saying that But But it's an Inspiration
0: It is absolutely An inspiration Speaking of Inspirations I would love To know what It felt like To be able to Work with The Queen of Soul Aretha Franklin <sighs> that's a that's a, a moment that uh, that not too many people uh, can say can say they've
1: uh... yeah it's like all right this is how it all started I was signed to Ron Lawrence one of the Hitman producers he's the one who produced Been Around the World Hypnotize Phenomenon mm. Money Power Respect um I think the song is called I Love You Baby for Black Rob. Mm-hmm. He did a lot of joints for a Puff. So I was around him every single day. And because I was part of I was signed to him. So I was I was part of the hitman. Not I was in within the hit hitman, hitman, but I was working I was, under uh, them. I was associated, you mm-hmm. understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Through Ron. Yeah. But I wasn't signed to the hitman. Mm-hmm. But but when, when you're signed to one of the Hitmen, it's like it's a whole family. Mm-hmm. You know, all the outside producers did, you know.
0: Pitch ideas yeah. and then the Hitmen will maybe polish them and bring them to puff. And... Or,
1: or, yeah, or something like that too. Yeah, mm-hmm. because mm. all, all the producers, all the Hitmen producers had underproducers. Yeah. You understand? So, a lot of want...
0: people don't realize, sorry to interrupt you, that uh, production is so collaborative. Mm-hmm. You know, and that it takes teams of people to pitch great ideas for sometimes these big records to actually come to fruition. There's there's many steps. It's not just one producer. You know, no. there's always like farm teams underneath production companies that you know work with talented people such as yourself. And then sometimes you might have a wicked idea, yeah. but it, 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 you might not get all the credit for yeah. it.
1: Yeah, like I know I'd, I gave some some records to um, Ron, and he would pitch them to Puff. That that um, what's his name again? Carl Thomas. Carl Thomas. Yes. Would hear he heard some of my some of my records because I remember one day I was at Justin's Puffy's restaurant mm. and Carl Thomas Monday was nights like, "Used to be yeah, popping yeah. Tuesday nights, Tuesday nights, <laughs> Tuesday sir, yes." And Carl Thomas was like, "Yo, I heard one of your records that Ron gave me," and I was like, "Wow, no, you know, it was nice to know that these established artists had um was were listening to your records." Sure, sure. So, so one day Ron came up to me, was like, Steve, I want to start inviting all the writers to the studio because mm-hmm. he lived in West Orange in a nice, beautiful house in West Orange. And he said, we're going to, it's going to be, it's going to be like a factory. Every day we're going to be in here demos, demoing songs. Mm-hmm. So he had all types of writers um, Don Robinson from InVol came. Mm-hmm. Um, every established writer would come from LA to to west to um to his to his studio in West Orange. At the time, I had the VS sixteen eighty by Roland.
2: I love when you name drop equipment. By the way, <laughs> keep going, man.
1: <laughs> and my mic, my AKG um C one thousand S. I got the VS sixteen eighty when I got my first check. Mm-hmm from the crazy bone record i produced mm. on you
2: got a plaque for that one i too. got a
1: plaque for that one yeah yeah and snoop dogg corrupt and lazy mm. bone were featured on the track and my first check i bought the hardest recorder mm. so i was using that to demo all the songs to produce all the demos so there was one song that we produced for one artist who was signed to columbia records i forgot her name but she took, her and the management took for like forever to give us an answer mm-hmm. and Ron sent it, Ron's people manager sent it to L.A. Reed mm-hmm. who was the CEO of Arista Records
0: Shout out LA Reed. One Reed. of one of one of my craziest stories is being late to a meeting with LA Reed, wow. which was a big regret. Wow. I was a kid, 15 years old. Asshole. I went there with my <laughs> with my manager and uh, and yeah, definitely I, I that was a big regret. But LA Reed was kind enough to fly us out and um you know, showed us a great time, had his people take us for dinner and stuff. And wow. I actually got to sit down with with a real like well, people throw this word legend around, uh-huh, but yeah. LA Reed's a real legend, uh-huh. founder of Arista Records and LaFace with La Babyface, face. And it was it was humbling. Um, you know, I didn't end up signing with them, but it was really humbling to be able to sit in a room and to and to soak up some game, uh-huh. you know, from one of the, you know, top music Pioneer. executives of all time and and really um you know have a chance to
1: perform for him and play records nice, for nice. him. Personally. Congra- congrats that on that. That was beautiful. That's nice. So LA Reed heard the record. The song was called Wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's called Wonderful and he loved the rec- he loved the song and he sent it to to Aretha 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 heard the song and then she loved it and she recorded it nice so the song so her album came out and that was in 2003 no in 2003 yeah
2: mm.
1: we demoed that song in in June 2003 so by the time it, it got to L.A. Reid it was like maybe summertime And then when the album came out, it was on the album So Damn Happy. The -hmm. album came out in September 2003. Mm -hmm. The next month, we get news that Wonderful is nominated for a Grammy. Mm -hmm. So we're all excited. Mm -hmm. We're all excited. So I start, I used to walk around New York telling people I'm a platinum recruiter. Platinum producer.
2: Now it's Grammy Platinum. Now it was like,
1: I'm a Grammy nominated. <laughs> I'm Grammy nominated now. Yeah, sure. Good for you. Good and for you, brother. So, what's so crazy, once I learned the song was nominated for a Grammy, I sent a letter to Yamaha saying that I would love to endorse the motif. Mm-hmm. All right? And I sent the letter and then two weeks later, they sent me back the letter saying... We got your letter, but at the moment, we're not endorsing anybody. But we'll keep your letter in, on file. Mm-hmm. I was like, "All right, no problem." Mm-hmm. Fast forward to Je- February, two thousand four. I'm at my ex's um, um house watching the Grammys, mm-hmm. and I was watching the red carpet, the pre telecast, mm-hmm. the red carpet, and then at the bottom of the screen, it says previously won. Aretha Franklin for Wonderful. Mm. I was like, "What? They, <laughs> what? They, they did it, <laughs> They cheated you out of being there. <laughs> and so so I ran up upstairs, you know, and I told my, my girl at the time I said, "I'm a Grammy Award winner, you know, this and that, mm-hmm. And I was so happy. So now I started walking New York, going around everybody in New York like. I'm a Grammy Award winner now. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, like not being cocky, but just being happy. Sure. So, the following week, I sent that same letter to Yamaha. Mm. In a week, a week after, I get this letter saying, Welcome to Yamaha. Mm -hmm. Welcome, so, uh, <laughs> welcome to the fucking music business. <laughs> when you need a helping hand,
0: nobody cares. And when you're up, everybody wants to give you free shit. Yep. That's this business.
2: So wow. Wow. I got I got That's my most business. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's real. It's it's the way it is. You can't be mad at it. Yeah. Shout you know, out to
2: you, Yamaha though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They got back to you.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Big and I wasn't mad at the time. You understand what I'm saying? In my in in my heart, I wasn't there. I wasn't what did I wasn't at the level that they needed me. Yeah. You understand right. what I'm saying? Right. So I knew I had to work You're harder. You're mad. Like, never. Never. You shouldn't get mad. No. When you get a refusal... Don't get mad. Never. It's because it's not your time or you're not just. Readjust,
0: realign. Yeah. Learn. I love, I saw Jay on Oprah's masterclass, and Mm -hmm. and I love what he said. He said, you know, I have a talent, but everybody has a talent. Mm -hmm. And talents are different. He said, I'm not a genius by any means. The only thing that he attributes his personal success to Mm -hmm. is every time he made a mistake, he learned from it, Uh readjusted, Mm -hmm. and tried it again. Yep. That was
1: it. Yep.
0: Sounds simple.
1: Yeah, very. But but you gotta have to no, apply it. Yeah. is, is, is not the easy part. And sorry, and you can't have an ego Mm-mm. neither. So mm-hmm. so like I embraced it, and when and when I got the when I got um, the endorsement, it, it felt good because I knew I had I had um, attained a next, level yeah. where they needed me. You mm-hmm. understand? what I'm saying because if you got nothing to offer. Who's going to want to hire you or give you, open the doors for you? Yeah. you got, sometimes you got to be real with yourself also. Mm-hmm. You could be good, but you're not good enough for what people are looking for. Sure. Or you can send records to A&Rs just because they don't take it. It doesn't mean the record you sent is whack. Yeah. It's just that it's not what they're looking for.
0: Sometimes the time, sometimes you're ahead of the time, too. Yeah. Sometimes, They're not on yeah. it yet. They're like, oh, you know, we're chasing this sound that's popping right now at radio. Mm-hmm. They have a six-month window. You're on some next shit that maybe a year down the line, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's always timing, right? It's, timing. it's always timing. It's timing. Timing and momentum.
1: And momentum, yeah. So that's how I got my first endorsement deal. My first of many your, fa-
0: your father must have been very, very, very proud that after all his efforts to you know, put you guys onto the music and everything that Aretha Franklin, who I imagine he grew up listening to, yeah. was your you know, first major, hmm. you know? Yep,
1: yep. And, and speaking of my dad, when I got my first plaque, I looked at it for eight hours. My crazy bone plaque, Thug Mentality, 1999. Like, I couldn't believe... Like I was reading my name on the plaque, no lie, eight hours straight. Good for you,
0: Speak to me about your relationship with Steve Lobel. Oh my God! Really? Big
1: shout out to Steve Lobel. Really? We working? What? That's my. You see, boy. I do my research. Wow. I do my homework. That's I my love point.
2: that guy. He doesn't know me, but wow. Speak to me about. Okay, Lobell. please.
1: All right, Steve Lobel.
2: Tell me everything.
1: <laughs> he must have it. been
2: involved. You're if talking he to did, two Jewish right? guys, by the way. Yeah, that's yeah, like our. Jewish, that's our guy.
1: Yeah, Jewish and Italian. <laughs> Um, I don't Steve, know him, but Steve Yo. Lobel. He's yeah. like the person you must know in the music business. Yeah. I met Steve Lobel in '98 when I used to go to Relativity Records because mm-hmm. the label's Relativity, Relativity
0: Fat Joe's original label.
1: Yeah, so what happened is, um, one night I was trying to go in, going go into Cheetah's record, no Cheetah's Club.
0: Tuesdays, that Tuesdays, was yeah, Tuesdays, yeah. too. Right after Justice, yes. people
1: would go to Cheetahs. I used to go up across there. Across the street. Cheetahs, oh, nice. yeah.
0: That was that was like that's the first time I met Mr. Cheeks from The Lost Boys. Mm. I would see Black Rob up there. That was the year Woe had just come out. Oh yeah, yeah. It was ve- it was a popping place. So it was an industry night in yeah. New York. Yeah.
1: So like when I first got signed to Ron Lawrence, wherever I went, I would drop his name. Cause that was my passport, my ticket. Because sure. everybody knew Ron. Mm-hmm. He was the top producer of um one of the top producers in New York because New York was popping. Mm-hmm. Him and his partner, D Dot Angeletti. Oh, D Dot. Yeah. I that's used to my bump boy.
0: into him a lot too. Shout yeah. out to I I haven't seen him in years, but he was always cool. We'd have drinks and shit. Yeah, D Dot is mad cool. AKA the Mad Rapper. Mad, mad rapper. Remember the mad rapper, mm, all of course, those skits. The intros are, and that's D Dot Angeletti. Yeah. He yeah, was yeah. a producer, but he would just do those skits as a as a little. Yeah.
1: So Actually, he just time. put out another album, Mad Rapper. Mm-hmm. Appreciate the hate. Oh yeah. I think it's vol. If it's not volume three, it's volume four. Sorry, D dot, but mm-hmm. you know I'm following you. It's it's one of it's either volume three or volume four. Like, yo, he's like he's another. That's a legend. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Those are the people you look up to. You understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Of course. So, so I was trying to get inside Cheetahs, and and when I when I finally got in, this dude came up to me. And he was like, hey, yo. He said, um, I like the way you maneuvered, you finesse your way in. Mm-hmm. And then he said, here's my, here's my card. I work for Relativity Records. Mm. So I took his card, and within two weeks, I called him up. I was like, hey, Duke, I'm the guy you met. We met at, at Cheetahs a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't you come by the label? So I went to Relativity it was on Fifth Avenue and 14th Street, who I think. Who was
0: on Relativity aside from Fat Joe at the time? They had, a, they had some good people. Um, um, Wasn't L a part of that? Who? No? Big Elle? L? Yeah, no. I'm not sure. I know. I feel like maybe g Rap might have put out his it album was, it through Relativity 456. Fat Joe put out Jealous One's Envy through yeah. Relativity. Um, bone Thugs.
1: That's very possible, yeah. But, um, was it Bone th- Bone Thugs. I think so, if I'm not mistaken. Well, Steve's really close with Bone
0: Thugs. I know that. Steve, well, Steve was that loud.
1: Uh, yeah, well, before yeah. loud, it was relativity. Okay. And so Steve, so I used to see Steve walking in the hallway, like, mm-hmm. like he was doing his work. You understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying? But we never really talked. But he was good friends with my boy, Duke. Mm-hmm. But we would say what's up to each other. But But when you see Steve you know he's about something. You mm-hmm. understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like his whole demeanor, you know he's about his business. Oh And he had that hip hop look to he's himself. He's so
2: New York, so DMC hip hop.
1: He came up with um, Russell Simmons, That's Jam it. Master J, RMP RIP, Run DMC. Right. Jam Master J put him put him in the game. Mm-hmm. And so he was around that whole Queens. Yeah, he's a Queens guy. Yeah, Queens dude. Yeah. So he knows everybody from Queens. Mm-hmm. So one day, um, so i'll see I'll see Steve Robell every time I'd go to relativity or some industry parties. and one day my boy Duke was like Steve. Um, we were looking for records for this I forgot this name of um, the artist's name. She was from down south, but that same record that I gave to that artist the NR A&R didn't like it. So I took that same record and I gave. I had a meeting with um with Crazy Bone. Mm-hmm. One, my, my boy Duke was like, Steve, Crazy Bone's going to be in town at the Hit Factory next Wednesday. Make sure you bring your records. Mm-hmm. So I went to the Hit Factory. There was a lineup of producers. Wow. I walked in and Crazy Bone was sitting Steve Lobel. Mm-hmm. I gave them the dat, that tape. So... The first song they played, he was bobbing his head to. Then he went to the second song, to the third song. Then he went back to the first track. It it was that down south double-timing hi-hat. Yeah,
0: the
1: bounce. Yeah. And then he kept going back to the first song. Going back. And then, then Steve Lobel was like, all right, we'll call you guys. We'll call you guys back. So that was on a Wednesday night. At that time, I was working at a gym in South Orange. I was the receptionist, you know, putting the weights. I'm saying all these things so that people see that. Yeah, You're painting the picture, brother. So that nothing was given to me. Never. I really paid my dues. You understand what I'm saying? Of course. I really went through. Through Did what you had to do to
0: be able to support process. yourself while, yeah. while pursuing this. Yeah.
1: Like, I was signed to Ron, but he gave me an advance but by after six months, that advance was finished.
0: Especially living in New York, it's expensive. Yeah.
1: And I had to find a way to work. You sure, understand what I'm saying? Sure. So I had to keep the lights on. Mm-hmm. So I was working at the gym. And then it was on a Sunday. I see Duke walking in on the phone. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. 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 Okay. Boom. Hangs up the phone. He says, yo, that was Steve Lobel. Crazy Bone loved the track. They're flying, out. They're flying us out to LA tomorrow. I was like, yo, for real, I'm in the mood, you know, for, <laughs> for any types of jokes. It's Sunday. You know, I don't know when, how I'm going <laughs> to eat the next, you know right. what I'm saying? It's not, it's not funny. He was like, yo, Steve, for real. That was Steve Robell on the phone saying he loves the record. We got to be at Relativity tomorrow, Monday at 9 o'clock in yes. the morning. Yeah. I was like, are you for real? He was like, Steve, at 6 o'clock, I'm going to come and get you. I'm going to take you home so you can pack Pack up. I was like, wow. Yeah. Is this for real?
0: I always found it funny how uh, things rarely come when you want them, mm. but usually when you need them. Yeah. When you're on your last leg, yeah, that's yeah, when yeah. You know, a bone gets tossed to you. Yeah.
1: So, so that was January 1999. All right. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I get home, I didn't have a, I, I didn't have a phone. So I, I uh, collect call my mom. I said, um, from, the, from the public pay phone from outside, so I called my mom, I was like, oh, I'm going to LA, and I'm going to LA tomorrow to work with an artist, and even, even for her, it, was, it wasn't easy to understand,
0: because
1: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. cause to them, it's just a dream, you understand know mm-hmm.
0: what I'm saying? And- Obviously, we can't blame you know people in our family for not understanding the way all this shit works because Uh even for us, it's pretty abstract and it's confusing and overwhelming. And it is not the way traditional business works. Like, okay, so you're gonna go and jumping on a plane now. It's gonna cost you money to be there. Maybe they're covering, but are they paying you to do this? No, but if it if it works out, I will get paid long term. On yeah, Yeah, but (laughs) you know, like it's difficult. It's very difficult. difficult.
1: So So I told her the story, so I hung up, so the next morning, I'm on my way to relativity with Duke. And then I'm like, "Is this for real?" Like, I, I'm still not believing, because after all these years and it finally happens, you're like, "It's too good to be true. You yeah. understand what I'm saying? So, I, so we go inside the label, I see Steve Lobel, you know, hip-hop gear and everything, and then... I see everybody, like, with their, with their suitcases. I'm like, oh, maybe this is real. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, we're in the car service going to a LaGuardia Airport. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling something. Next thing you know, I'm on the plane. Mm-hmm. All right. The plane lands in L.A. We go straight to, to the recording studio. of mm-hmm. Studio 56, me, Steve Lobel, and Duke. And so I'm tracking the record. I had my MPC 2000, mm-hmm. and you're dumping, <laughs> and you're dumping <laughs> all that the sounds. Gear. show MPC, MPC Akai with my disc and everything. I had my JV 1080. Mm-hmm. Oh, that track I had done was for Gangsta Boo. You remember Gangsta? I Boo? do, yes, yes. But the A&R didn't like the track, mm-hmm. so that so was did, her name, yeah. That Gangsta Boo, okay. So they wanted a remix, mm-hmm. so I did this bounce track, mm-hmm. which Crazy Bone. Love. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm at the studio. When I'm tracking, I think the beat was at, was at um, 65, 65 BPM. And Steve heard it and he was like, boost it up a little bit. Wow. So we boosted up, I think, to 68.
0: You made the tempo faster. Yeah,
1: made yep. the fast, um, tempo faster. So I'm tracking the record. When I'm tracking who I see coming in the studio, KG. I'm Naughty by Nature, the yeah, producer, mm-hmm. and I see him talking to Steve LaBelle, and, and- The wheels try, are in motion now. Yeah, the, everything is, now I'm really believing it. Now, I'm like, wow, I'm in LA. They flew me out to LA. Mm-hmm. Everything was paid for, you know, eating well. But how many times,
0: I'm sure, has similar situations happened to you that never worked out or didn't come to this fruition? This seems like everything's going business, right right now. For every 10 opportunities that Uh might be mentioned to you, you got to be very cautious of getting excited or even Mm. saying it to other people because nine times out of 10, it doesn't work out out. and it's, it's, it's a beautiful feeling when it does, but that is the nature of the
2: beast. Yep.
1: That's the nature. So
2: he got one. Yeah. He got a good one. So
1: Steve Lobel, I spent the entire week with Steve Lobel and um, the first day of the recording session, we tracked the record, and then Crazy Bone came. Then he heard the record. He was, like, he was like bobbing his head to it. Then once he left, I started playing the flute on the record, on, the, on that bounce beat. And I had everybody dancing so I can get that energy. And when Crazy Bone came back the next day, he heard the flute part. Then that's when he laid down the hook. Hmm. So once the hook was done, hmm. I was networking and I was asking around, is Snoop Dogg in town? And everybody was like, people didn't know where Snoop Dogg was. Mm-hmm. And, I was and I went to Steve, Steve Lobel, I was like, Steve, I heard Snoop is in town. It would be nice if we can get him on the record. Mm-hmm. He was like, yeah, word, that'd be great. So the next day I come back to the studio and Lobel says, we are gonna see Snoop. I was like, what you mean we are gonna see Snoop? He was like, I got the address. So we, we go. So he
0: was not even supposed to be anything nah, to do with nah, the song. Nah, nah. You nothing. just said, you know, let me yeah. pull a fast one. Right? And, yep. pitch, and, and pitch. And pitch it.
1: And Steve, like, well, that's a good idea. Next thing you know, we're driving in, we're driving in, um, we're driving down, down LA. And we go to the studio. And I walk in the studio. And who I see playing <laughs> Nintendo? Snoop.
2: <laughs> the big homie.
1: Yo. I saw Snoop playing, and I was like, all I could think of was, bitches ain't shit, but hoes and tricks. You understand what I'm saying? All the what death What was, was That was 99, January okay. 1999. Cool. You
2: willed it into fruition. You said, like, you were in your networking game. You were just like, let's see if Snoop yeah. you went high, and guess what?
1: And it, and it happened. It paid off. And next thing you know, so so it was Steve and I waiting for Snoop. We waited for, like, 15 minutes, and then when Snoop, Snoop was- Snoop's not late. Snoop finished playing with his homies then he walked up to us and he was like what's <laughs> up <laughs> I didn't know what to say to Snoop my <laughs> mouth stayed open mm-hmm. so throughout the entire interaction it was Steve Robell talking Snoop I was like starstruck like mm-hmm. Snoop like S, you know what I'm saying
0: Snoop D-O-double G Snoop
1: D-O-double G and then when 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 they finished talking Snoop was like peace out and I was like Bye, <laughs> bye, Mister Dog. <laughs> Yo, bye, when Snoopy. I, when I was walking out the studio, I was like, "What did just happen?" Right. I didn't believe that I actually surreal. saw Snoopy. A surreal
0: moment. Is this one of your moment. first times in LA?
1: Yeah, that was my first time. Oh, first,
0: first time. That's a good
1: one. And that's then one. And then we driving back, and then Steve Bell was like, "You know what? Once we get to the studio, I'm gonna put this. I'm gonna put the, um, the song on cassette and give and give it to him." So I spent the entire week with Steve. When We're supposed to leave on a Wednesday to go back to New York on Wednesday, but Crazy Bone loved the way I was working. Mm. So they had me in LA till fr- till Saturday.
2: Just because of the work you just put in? Just because of my work. And your, your wisdom. I mean, you willed Snoop into fruition, and just so happens, Steve's like, yo, that's a
1: great fucking move. Yeah, yeah. it was a good look for the record. Yeah, it was a good look for the record. And Steve would... Um, Every time he would order food, he would order for me. Like he, like the rest of the week, the beginning part of the week, I spent it at the, um, at some some nice hotel in Beverly Hills. No, in studios in, in Studio City, something like um, Universal City, right? Universal.
0: And um, you ever stay at La Park? No, I used to always stay there every time I go with Guru to L.A. And I would always bump into a lot of people at the pool. Like, oh wow, uh,
1: I stayed at the Sheraton. Mm-hmm. And then from Wednesday and on, I stayed, I stayed at Steve Lobel's house in Burbank. No That's nice. where he lived at the time. Mm-hmm. Nice, what a guy. Nice three three floors condo. Like it was a beautiful week. He treated me like I was his little brother. Yeah. I had Good never deals. had that kind of treatment in my life. That's like, like I was getting to know who Steve Lobel was. Mm-hmm. And he would talk and I was just soaking. I would just listen. Like when he talks, just listen. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Because you're going to learn a lot. Because mm-hmm. he's been in the game for years. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? So throughout the whole week, I was I was I would peep his game, the way he was talking to people. And I got a lot, of, a lot of jewels from him. And that's how me and Steve and I became very good friends. Mm-hmm. And whenever he would be in New York, he would call me up. Yo, I'm in town. Or if if I knew he was in town, I would call him up. Mm -hmm. Like whenever it's his birthday, I'll shout him out. Mm -hmm. Like call him up or text him or or put his picture on the gram. You you know go go say happy birthday to my boy, Lil' Bell. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it's big. Special dude. He's a special special guy. Yeah, he's
0: done a lot of great things for a lot of people. Yeah. And you know I could tell. I don't know him personally, but I could tell he's very passionate about you know what he does and who he works
2: with. There's there's very few that have been in it that long. That have done that much and like there's not even a resurgence. It's just like this is this is you can
0: tell that you know he really loves what he does, Mm -hmm. and that's I'm sure why he gets the results that he does. you know. Everybody
1: knows Steve Lobel, from the executive to the street
2: people. So so I'm big in in battle rap. I love battle rap. Mm -hmm. And he just uh worked a deal with Sue Surf.
1: Yeah, yeah. Sue Surf
2: uh signed a publishing deal, I think. Through his company. Through right and and just to see that battle rap. Mainstream transition through him is is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: you know there needs to be more people like Steve who actually come from the culture, right? Who understand the culture and have the 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 power and the leverage to be able to make things happen for the right people, mm-hmm. not just the people who have the numbers That's on it. their side or That's whatever. Opportunity you know, people yeah. who get it. And I say this all the time, and I'm going to keep on saying it. Once upon a time, there was a lot of people whose position it was to uh curate Mm -hmm. the art Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and to come in there and you know with guys like yourself and guys like steve lobel and make the shit better and help to take the artist to a next level rather than saying you know if you don't have your shit together we're not gonna fuck with you Uh or watch you fall on your face yeah and that always to me is what made you know a lot of these classic albums that we all grew up loving they didn't just happen with the artist no. and one or two guys who made beats. No. There was a whole staff of people a lot of the time involved in making the features happen and mm-hmm. in, in, in really going over and over and you know, A&Ring. And I feel like mm-hmm. A&R is a lost art form these yeah, days mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. the business model changed as we've spoken about mm-hmm. previously. Yeah. Um, what do you look for when you're working, You know, choosing artists you wanna work with? What is it that you look for? Do you like, are you a guy who likes developing raw talent or do you like grabbing people who you think would already complement your sound? What's your
1: process like? It's both. Like lately, I've been working with, working with a lot of raw talent and just schooling them to the game. Mm-hmm. Developing them in the studio.
0: So you're in development mode. Yeah,
1: I, I am. And it's, it's nice to see when you can take a little idea Mm -hmm. and it becomes, it becomes something interesting. Something interesting. You know what I'm saying? Because a lot of these raw talented artists, they don't know anything about the business. Mm -hmm. So I got to keep schooling them and also studio ethic. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have, that's the reason why Steve Lobel had me spend the entire week because I had studio ethic. Like knowing when to talk, Mm -hmm. knowing What to say? Not stepping on people's toes. Mm -hmm.
0: Like being productive and working efficiently. Yeah, because
1: because every hour is money. Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm saying? And so I teach them about the business, studio ethic, how to become a real artist. Mm -hmm. The relationship between the microphone with your voice, how to hear yourself, Mm -hmm. how to make records, you know, or sometimes I'll just vibe out with the person, with the artist. I'll just go out, take them out to eat, mm-hmm. hang out with them, just to know who they are as an artist. Yeah. And explain them who they are as an artist, because a lot of artists don't know who they are, because they see what they see on TV, and they try to mimic what they see on TV. Of course. But they need to know that every artist is, has their unique, special talent. And until you tap... Inside in you To figure out who you are You won't know You won't become that artist Like mm. Snoop Like Crazy Bone Like Biggie you Step understand? into your own Step into your own mm-hmm. So So I work with these type of artists And they're also talented artists Who already have it All they need is Material Like Radical mm-hmm. He was born gifted Radical from technical sense. Mm -hmm. He was born gifted. He's also a musician. Like he's like a musician. His ideas are crazy. Mm -hmm. So having somebody like him in the studio with me It takes my it takes whatever I have to the next level. Are you still working together? Yeah, we still work. Yeah, I'm He's writing? Yeah, he's writing.
0: How do you feel about working with publishing companies? Do you have a publishing deal? How do you go about placing your music? You know, I know there's a lot of up and coming producers Mm -hmm. who always wonder, you know, in your opinion, what's the best way to get their music to, to, you know, big artists and to try and get placements on major projects? What would your advice be? Well, the best way
1: to get your music out there is getting in touch directly with the artist's manager. Because if you got, when you go through a if you don't have the option, you can go through, through the a but going through the managers, it's much, much faster because cause they're, they're in direct touch um, with the artists. With the artists, mm-hmm. you understand what I'm saying? So once, once they hear your records, they'll play for the artist. But when you go through a it has to go through different channels.
0: So you're not um, one who works with like publishing companies and agencies to place your music and kind of set up sessions for you guys to uh, be
1: part of? and. Shit no, because like I've always been able to maneuver, maneuver mm-hmm. uh, cut out the middle, middle, the middle person. Man, yeah. Middleman, you know, over over the years, being I've been in the music business since nineteen ninety eight, so I know everybody. Mm-hmm. If there's somebody I don't know, I know somebody who knows the person I'm trying to get in touch with. And it's getting easier with social media when you can very easy people up too. Yeah, because once they go on your page, they can tell if you're fake or real. You mm-hmm. understand what I'm saying with the mm-hmm. credits that you have mm-hmm. or the the way you sell yourself. True. Sure. So I've never had a publishing deal. I almost had one back in the day with um MCA, mm-hmm. Universal Records, Universal Publishing, mm-hmm. but it didn't pan out the right way. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was God, you know, stopping me from signing my life away. You mm-hmm. understand what I'm saying? Yeah, sure. Because the, the th- it's good to have a publishing deal if you're trying to get on and you don't have no money and you want you want the music to become full time. You understand? Mm-hmm. But the only thing is once you sign a publishing deal, now you always got to play catch up because mm. if, let's say they gave you $100,000 advance, they got to recoup that. Mm-hmm. So let's say you go, let's say you place a record and you make $5,000 or $20,000. All right. You're making $20,000, but you're not going to see any money because they already gave you your advance. True. So un- until they recoup the $100,000, you don't get checking. you don't get anything even if you go, unless you work under a different name. Like a lot of people do that. Mm. You know, you don't work under your government name. But then
0: you're not building up your brand nah, the way you not. want to build up you're your not. brand, which is the whole negates the point of doing the publishing. Yeah. Deal. If you're going to do a publishing deal to have people to put you in a position where you can build up your brand as a producer and then you got to go outside of that and produce under another name. Why did you do that in the first place? Yeah,
1: it's the purpose, you know. It's a tough game though. Yeah, but don't get me wrong. It's good to have a publishing deal because it helps you work full time in your music, but it's dangerous because if you spend all that advance money, then you won't see any money. So you got to do your nine to five to keep up Sure. you understand yeah. but and when when you sign a publishing deal you got access to all the different writers producers mm-hmm. and you know who's working on what which artist is looking for which record yeah. and you got the publishers who can place these records for you but in order for them to place these records for them for you you got to have a great relationship with the publisher mm-hmm. because you're not the only one they got signed of course they have like Thousands of um, writers of people, yeah. So only the ones Who have built A great relationship With the publisher Will get the records placed You know so, That's a gem Yeah That's Thanks. a gem
0: Definitely take note All the up and coming producers That you know We I mean we always know That the music business Is, is um, It's all about relationships Relationships And a lot of people think that just getting that record deal or that publishing deal or that management deal is the end-all and be-all, and now you're on your way. Mm -hmm. And really, it's just the door opening. What you do with that opportunity and how you walk through that door and what you do in that room is going to determine whether it turns
1: into a career or not. Yeah, just like with Steve Lobel. After we did the first record on Crazy Bones' album, then one day he caught in 2005... um, he was working with um, Bone Thugs had been signed, just had just been signed to um, Koch Records, mm-hmm. and Steve Lobel called me up. He was like, "Yo, Steve, I'm looking for for some records for Bone," and I was uh, I was able to get on that Bone album again mm. on the, um, this is the, the Thug type st- yeah up. Thug Stories, mm-hmm. and the name of the song I produced is called um, "Call Me," mm-hmm. and that went on the record. And that's mm. through the relationship over the years. Yeah. You gotta, it's, like a, it's like a seed you plant. You got to water it. It's right. the same thing with relationships. That's right. Like when you meet somebody tomorrow, if you go out, you meet somebody, don't wait two weeks later before reaching back to them because by then- They met so many other people. They met so many other people. And when you meet somebody, make sure you strike a conversation that's, that's going to have them remember- the conversation you had, you understand? Like if you, yeah, he, if he's working, if if he has a nice, if he has a nice hat or a nice sweater on, you know, say, oh wow, I love your sweater, you know, where did you get it? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I love your style. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. he'll give you your card, or she'll give you a card, her card. Mm-hmm. And when you rep- when you send her email, say, hey, how you doing? I'm the young dude that m- gave you a compliment about your sweater mm-hmm. um, two nights ago. They can't forget that because mm. people will never forget how you made them feel. Absolutely. So always make sure you make people feel like, like kings and queens. That's dope. My man.
0: My man. Put people up and bring value to the table anytime you want to yep. do business with somebody.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. It's like always make sure you put yourself in a position where you're offering to give. People don't want to give you. People want to know what you can do for them. Absolutely, you understand. What I'm saying, Absolutely. don't. It's like you feel better when you give gifts. Mm-hmm. So your talent is giving. That's right. Helping people out, help people put people, help people to be um, to be in a better position. That's like right. if they're millionaires, how can you help them become billionaires?
0: And again, going back to Steve Lobel, he's he's a shining example of somebody who's you know, continues to work with notable artists, but can take them just back up to where they need to be. Just, yeah. just Steve's got to be on
2: the podcast now that we've spoken. Yeah, definitely. It's right? oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. time, right? Oh, okay, yeah, just, just throwing it out there. Keep going. Definitely. <laughs>
1: I, I'll plug you guys. with Thank Steve you. O'Bell. Thank you. Appreciate it. That's sure. my man. Just a phone call.
2: <laughs> we would love to,
0: man. We would love to. What's next on the agenda for you? Um,
1: I just finished working, working with um, this rock band called Special Ops. Cool uh, cool name. Yeah, a rock band from Montreal. Mm-hmm. Nice.
0: What kind of sound are you doing for them?
1: It's rock. A, it's, a, it's rock music. Straight rock music. Yeah, I did I did I did one one song on their album. I did a remake of um I put a, I put a spell on you. Okay. A rock version. And and I got this um this song coming out with um what's her name again? Annie Dufresne. Mm-hmm. She's a French singer. Mm-hmm. And Radical wrote the lyrics. I produced a record. It's coming out in the spring. Very so curious
0: to hear what your rock a, production a, sounds yeah, like. Yeah,
1: it's, it's um, French music. Dope. So my goal is to put, to have Montreal become the music capital of the world within the next five years. Just like how New York was, Atlanta is, L.A., how L.A. was. You understand Toronto's what i Toronto's kind of close, Toronto, right? Toronto. Came up, came up hard. Came up hard. But we got a lot of talented people. But there's no infrastructure. This is
0: the most recurring theme on every podcast. <laughs> Shout man, out on, our producer, but Brian. We, <laughs> but we, have, but we
2: have one, bless. We have one. And the difference is, is that if we can get multicultural, mm-hmm. if we can get that same Afro bass, Afro pop, Afro beat, but but Canada, Montréalais with the Haitian community, mm-hmm. uh-oh, it's mm-hmm. a smaller version. It's never going to be that. But it could be our version of it. Sure.
0: Sure. And I think what Steve's talking about also is there's so many talented writers, producers, DJs that have been working behind the scenes that are world-class that um, I think once the timing is right and there's a few artists that are able to breach, Uh that much like Toronto, the floodgates would open for a lot of people. So we
2: have one in the studio tonight. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: But in order for us to be at that level... Everybody needs to study the music business. That's right. Like I tell people, if you want to become a doctor, mm-hmm. you got to go to med school. That's right. If you want to become a lawyer, you got to go to law school. That's Same right. thing. If you want to be in the music business, you got to know about the business side. Mm. Like if you're reading a contract, you want to make sure that you know what you're reading. Mm-hmm. Like before I got into the music business, and this is another gem, I went out and I bought. All You Need to Know About the Music Business by, by Donald, Donald Passman. Passman. I read it five times before I got signed to Ron Lawrence.
0: Yep. And... That was the Bible.
1: Yep. Of the and music business. Every, every two years or every three years, I buy the new edi- edition mm-hmm. because there's, with the new technology, keeps sure. he keeps adding new, new chapters. Yeah,
0: definitely go go out there and check that out. And you know, to a large extent, that's the reason we do this platform to really educate people what's what's going on behind the scenes and put them onto game of you know people need to know who you are. People need to know Thanks. who the and we're movers lucky to and have shakers, guys like him here. Who just- the movers, absolutely, and who the movers and shakers are within our own city because mm-hmm. there's a lot of ignorance and miscommunication and people don't even realize that guys such as yourself are, are, are in town.
1: And um, thank you, and speaking of ignorance. Thank um, you. Thank you, speaking of ignorance, this city is driven by ego and we need to stop that. Mm-hmm. Everybody needs to play their position. That's right. Not everybody's a chief. Mm-hmm. If you know somebody, Who's, who's doing something big In the city Try to learn from that person Like a lot of I'm mm-hmm. sorry A lot of people fighting over crumbs mm-hmm. You understand what oh, I'm saying? I couldn't
0: agree more And not just Not just try and learn from that person But maybe instead of competing with them ask how you can be of service to help them get to that position Mm -hmm. where they want to be and they need to be. And there'll be plenty of room for all these other people to work within this business, to work together.
1: And I tell people, I've been doing music full time for the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make no sense. I can't comprehend when when I see a talented person and they got to go work the next day, nine to five and it doesn't make sense. If you're a musician, this is what you do. You spent many years of learning your craft. Yeah. Why are you doing a nine to five? It's because they, they don't know anything about the music business, yeah. and they don't know their self-worth. Like, I know my
0: self-worth. That actually leads me to a question. What are some of the things you've done uh, within the music business, but mm-hmm. less obvious things mm-hmm. where maybe people can learn, okay, I made some money doing this. I made some money being a session musician or doing placements or whatever. Uh, okay. Tell us a little bit about right. things here, here, here that we go. might not job. be obvious because everybody's like, oh yeah, I make fire beats and I'm going to put it on Jay-Z's next album and I'm going to be in demand and that's how I want to make a living. All
1: right. One thing I've been doing since 2005 is licensing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Television, Sending, video. Television, games. Telev- mostly television and film. Mm-hmm. Like I've been licensing my music to Viacom. Mm-hmm. Like all the big shows you see on MTV, VH1, a lot of these beats that you hear are my beats. Dope. Mm. And that was my, that was my quiet money. Mm-hmm. I call it mailbox money. Mm-hmm. And it's only recently that a lot that producers are getting into it. Because, but I started it way back in 2005. Mm-hmm. So I've been caking off of that, off that, off
0: of that um, side hustle. So, do you work with an agency for specifically those
1: placements? No, I know all the music supervisors. I know all the top Hollywood music supervisors.
0: So you just send them shit directly. Yeah, that's sample free, of course. Sample free, and they always need that for background music. Do they ever ask you to pitch full songs, or is it mostly instrumental only?
1: Instrumentals, but I do, but I do send full songs also. When you send send four songs with um with the artist on it, mm-hmm. when it plays on MTV, you see the name of the artist at the bottom of the sure, screen. Sure. And the way I got into it is um my boy Wendell Haynes, mm-hmm. who's like a big time um, music composer in the States, mm-hmm. he took me under his wing and he taught me how to make music for TV. Like when you make records for artists, it's four minutes. Mm-hmm. All right. You got to do the intro, the verse, eight bars, mm-hmm. the pre-hook, the hook, then bridge. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to to making music for TV, you got to do everything within 30 seconds or 60 seconds. Mm-hmm. And, and you don't have two or three weeks to make a track. You have one day. Mm-hmm. I can get a phone call at 10 o'clock in the morning. Steve, I need music for, for a commercial. That sounds like this. And it sounds like, yeah, they'll give you the brief. Mm-hmm. They want it to, they want the music to sound happy. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever, whatever the brief is, we need the track by three o'clock, three o'clock this afternoon. You've got to drop everything that you're doing to get on it. And even when you finish sending the song, you're not done because the music, music supervisor will call you be like, you know what? Switch it up, add this, take that out. And, and when you're doing music for TV, you gotta put your ego on the side mm. because it's not you dict- dictating. That's right. What's how it's gonna sound? It's the client. That's right. So even if even when they say take that out, and you might be like, what that was that was the hardest. That was, was the, hard part. Yeah. That was you the can't hardest. to attach to anything. But yeah, you can't get attached. Right? right. And you gotta be open enough to do whatever mm-hmm. because they know what they're looking That's for. They might not. They might not know what they want. But when they hear it, they'll know what they'll know that that's what they're looking for. So that's one one hustle. And I've been doing a lot of teaching, one-on-one music production classes. Um, I have like students all over the world: New York, Montreal, um, London. So you do it uh, Skype or Skype FaceTime. through uh, Skype through FaceTime and in person. I got my, um, how you call it, I've been doing, I've been teaching at SAE since 2004. Mm-hmm. Like whenever they go, whenever they're about to, um, to oh. graduate, they'll call me in to do a masterclass. Dope. Like a two-hour masterclass. And I was lucky, I was fortunate that they even sent me to a teacher's training class. Like for four weeks to learn how to teach. Like, you can't just teach. You got to have, you got to know the approach. Mm -hmm. So I passed that class, and I got my certificate, my New York license to teach. Good for you, brother. Thank you very much. That's dope. And I've been doing that since 2004. But when my my contact left SAE, you know, School of Audio Engineering, Mm -hmm. the new team that came in, they they never called me back. Mm -hmm. The new staff, they didn't know me. And I'm and I'm the type like I don't like waiting on people. I don't wait on no one to feed me. I gotta create my own my own um lane lane and yeah. So so I started one on one music production classes with Steve Pajot. If you I got one page a page called one on one with Steve Pajot on Instagram. Nice. So that's how you can get in touch with me. Smart. Yep. And there's so many things that you can do nowadays. You understand what I'm saying? Think outside of the box. Thinking outside of the box. And I just partnered up with sounds.com. So I'm delivering sample packs. Mm -hmm. And what I did, I hired some of the top musicians in Montreal to do the live sample packs. Mm -hmm. And it should be out. By the time the interview comes out, it should be, I should have my own You said Native
2: Instruments off camera, right?
1: Yeah. Native Instruments who does, they have a new division called Sounds. You go to sounds.com. And you'll see there are partners and there are artists who have joined in. I'm a partner. So every week I'll be putting out new sounds.
2: New sound packs. New sound packs. Different samples, artists. Different with, artists. With, with raw instruments. Raw nothing instrument. heavy filtered. None of nah, that bullshit. Nah, nah,
1: nah. I record straight into the mic, depending which instrument on my C414. Shout out the
2: mic. Shout out the, the instruments, please. Yes. Yeah, tell, me, tell me what you're using, I brother. Use,
1: well... I use a C414. Okay. I'm endorsed by AKG. So I use that mic. Put in front of um the amp, my Roland JV, J, JC40 amp. I'm endorsed by Roland Canada also.
2: Shout so Roland. everything
1: goes through through my preamp, my 6176 raw. And I don't EQ none of those samples because producers are going to end up EQing. That's right. I well, that's, just make that's, sure.
2: That's important. That's something that like, the people that are buying this mm-hmm. need to know you're not touching this.
1: No, I'm not EQing. It's what you hear is how I recorded it. I just make sure that the input signal is clean, mm-hmm. and I'll just make sure you know the level is loud enough so that they, they have something to work with. That's right. Not too not too hot. Because if you make it too hot, then there's no room for them to you know bring bring the volume up. You don't mm-hmm. want you don't want to deliver sound packs that are distorted. Mm-hmm. You know? in between enough for them to work with so right. that's what I've been doing you understand what I'm saying so these, cool.
2: these packs are coming out just give it one more time where, where if we get them
1: dot com. I'm going to have my own page Steve I think it's, it might be called Steve Pagel or Pagel Productions one of those it's either Steve Pagel or Productions LLC right on and can you give
2: us a couple more things you're working on Um, maybe some low key stuff that like we're not supposed to know mm-hmm. I don't know something fun you got, you got a cute gem for us now. <laughs> he wants to say something. He's done.
1: <laughs> All right. All right. I just finished doing a big interview with the Grammys, the Recording Academy. Okay. I'm a voting member. Nice. You know, so every year I get to choose who gets nominated. You know, it's, 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 a, it's an elite club mm-hmm. that you're a part of. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I just finished doing an interview last week. And it will be it will come out in February. Like this is like it's some top top interview. Stop. Yeah. Um I'm I'm signed to the New York, I'm part of the New York chapter. Wow. So they know what I'm trying to do. And
2: And will this be available yeah, it to will us? Be, like could we go see it somewhere?
1: Um I think. Okay. I think. But if it's not if it's not public, I'll make sure it becomes public. Oh, man.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um I Respect. told him Congrats. thank you very much. I told him what I'm trying to do like I'm back and forth between New York and Montreal. I like to put Montreal on the map. And they gave me some gems for me to put these artists in positions, how they can become members of the Recording Academy. Mm. Nice. You know what I'm saying? Nice. So whatever I've acquired over the, over the years, I want to make sure every artist in Montreal get the same access. access, have the same access. But in order to have the same access, you got to work hard. You understand what I'm saying? You got to keep your ears your ears out. Be mm-hmm. open to learn. Mm-hmm. And you got to act like you don't know anything. Because mm-hmm. whoever, not act like you don't know anything, but willing to learn from somebody who's who's already on a level. Be receptive. Be receptive. You understand what I'm saying? If you know I'm doing a lot of big things, your ego shouldn't stop you from calling me and be like, yo, Steve, respect for everything you've been doing. How can I be like you? That's right. And how and can I'm, we collaborate? Yeah. And how can and, I help
0: bring things to the table?
1: And it's not even me. I'm not even trying to be cocky, but it is. It's facts. I've, I've, um, I've reached a certain level where I can open doors to a lot of people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I can't force nobody to become successful. That's right. You know, you got, you got to be willing to become successful, and I'm also ready to teach people. You understand what I'm saying? That's dope. I got nothing to hide from you. Whatever you want to know, you, you can have it Steve, through me. Steve,
2: any young artist you want to endorse and bring on, we're there. We're ready for you. Okay? Oh, this yeah, platform thanks. is the same thing. Like, you have your music. Mm-hmm. We have this so that they could talk. And I'm I'm thankful that you're here. Thank and you. definitely very much.
0: everybody checking checking out uh the interview, don't be shy. Hit Steve up. You heard it. He's a veteran, he's open to work with people in our city and abroad. Take advantage of it. Salute you and right? everything yeah. you're doing, man.
1: And uh speaking of young artists, I didn't mention, mention my youngest brother, Anthony Pajot. Mm-hmm. He's one of the top drummers in Montreal. He's been on tour, he's actually touring now with Anomaly. Mm-hmm. The keyboard player like I know Mali is like one of the top top keyboard players in town, mm-hmm. like when he goes to um l a or wherever in the states, he's greeted like a rock star mm-hmm. like they just came back from Europe mm-hmm. they're out in Asia and all over like my my brother Anthony he's been playing drums since he was a young k- kid. Mm-hmm. I bought him his first drums drum set when he was two years old. I knew he wanted to. He was always banging on the tables mm. And And I peeped it So I bought him his first drum set It cost $165 At R Us mm. You know those plastic drums, mm-hmm. drum sets mm-hmm. And now he's touring the world He just turned 30 years old And he's, he's he, he performed with Everlast Dope. He, he was on the Jay Leno He was on Jay Leno With Talib Kweli and Nelly
2: mm. With my
1: brother Ricky And you know what's so crazy how he got that. He went out to LA for vacation, on vacation. And and my brother Ricky got a phone call from um from one of his boys. And his boys was like, um his boy was like, yo, I need a drummer. No, no, no. Um his boy was like, Do you th- um I know your brother Anthony's in town. Do you think he'll be able to do the Jane Leno tomorrow with Talib Quali? And my brother Ricky was like, Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. So my brother told Anthony, Ricky told Anthony, Yo, they just called to see if you want to do the Jay Leno, and that same day they went to re- No, the next day they went to rehearse, mm. and the following night, my brother Ricky and Anthony, Anthony on drums on Jay Leno, so, with um Talib Kwali and 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 Nelly performing. So big shout out to my youngest brother mm-hmm. Anthony Pajot.
0: You guys need to do like a like a brother a Pajo. Brother project, you yeah, guys I know. need to put something together, yeah. man. Yeah, whip pops too.
1: Yeah, yeah, we are gonna do that. And Aretha. We, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, God bless her soul. Right? She Let's, passed out. Oh shit. <laughs> she she Excuse died. Me, yeah, all right.
0: Damn, but, let me use <laughs> oh, Aretha Franklin. <laughs> passed away. What the fuck? Cancel
1: this episode. No, but, what, no, what the fuck? But, but you know what? Desi DeLoro. She's my she's my sister in law. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like she's a what she's um she's always performed with Ricky like they're all on tour she mm-hmm. can sing mm-hmm. everybody knows her so like in town So you have the band yeah yeah she was part of brand van
0: of who did she ever work with brand van maybe I, I don't think know. she might
1: have she she's the one who did um that that um that big hit with um with um that the rap the rap group you 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 named earlier the French dumatic dramatic yes, 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 she yes. was on the hook yes yes of course. that was Desi. mm-hmm that was desi so she's big yeah, she's you guys should put together a little a little soul project yeah 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 it's gonna happen it's Definitely. just a matter of people's everybody's schedule hell yeah you understand?
0: well thank you so much for sharing your story thank you for bringing us into your world you're welcome back anytime. We Thanks might need to have me. a little panel discussion, a little music industry talk, be great. and have Steve this with a couple of people, and make, may, maybe have a little networking episode. You know, thank you very much. That That'll would be, be live, great, man. Thank Special. you so much. The M O T podcast. I'm your host, Bless. Let me know Steve Pajot mm-hmm. in the motherfucking building. Make sure you hit him up. Your Instagram once again. It's Steve Pajot,
1: S T E V E P A G E O T and my other Instagram for for those of you who want to learn about the music business music production go to one-on-one with Steve Pajot on Instagram big up to you thank you for being here my brother thank you for having me I you. Say, say, I